Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Kingdom Work for Christ online radio show. If 
heard a much deeper voice than mine. You were just listening to Mike Underhill. Hello, Mike. How are you? Oh, very well, Emma. Thank you for uh, asking me to be here. I'm just so glad you're here. I, I, I don't know if you'll feel that way after the hour, so we'll, we'll find out. Mike and I were talking about this um, about two seconds ago, and we decided that I probably would be either kicking him out or he'd kick me out, so we'll find out what happens. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you so much. So here's what we're doing. If you are tuning in for the first time and you're wondering, what is Kingdom Work for Christ? Let me go through a very brief review. First of all, thank you for tuning in. For those of you who keep tuning in, thank you so, so much. Just love serving you this way. So Kingdom Work for Christ is essentially a full-time job of inviting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over the day-to-day tasks. So what does that mean? That means let's carry out the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Let's go to Matthew. Turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The context is that Jesus, after he died, and before and after he was resurrected, before he went to be with the Father, he left his followers a beautiful set of instructions. And he said this. He said, first, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Second, therefore, go and make disciples of nations. Third, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Fourth, teach them to obey my commandments. And five, know that I'm with you always till the end of the age. A lot of times when we hear about the Great Commission, it's go and make disciples of nations. And so what we've done on this show is that we have redirected our lives so that that first instruction of knowing our Lord, the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, comes first. And as a byproduct of that, we then go and make disciples of nations and follow the last instructions, the other instructions of the Great Commission. So what this means is that on the show, we have gone through different environments. We've visited gossip. What does it mean to do kingdom work for Christ in the middle of gossip? What does it mean for chronic illness? What about when we're disagreeing with people? Mm, what about when it comes to sexuality? There are various topics that we've talked about. The first thing we do is we go through the biblical insight on that environment. And then the next few interviews, we then have interviews with people who are in those environments. And this show is about explaining the way in which we either carry out or don't carry out the Great Commission on a day-to-day basis. Authenticity is key. And so you have tuned into a show today where we are visiting the legal environment. Last time we talked about Kingdom work for Christ when it comes to law. If you missed it, you can go back and check it out at kingdomworkforchrist.com under events. But briefly speaking, when it comes to law, there are some amazing tools that people in the legal field can really use to do kingdom work for Christ. First of all, the ability to present a good and communicate well um, why the gospel is real, why the gospel is infectious, why the gospel is based on Jesus Christ, not a theology, not an ideology, not some la-la land fabrications of our mind, but Jesus Christ, the real true God, the one who actually cares about us. And, and, and the second thing is it allows us to ask questions, to insert doubt, especially in the areas where people will ask us, how is the gospel you are presenting any different from this, this news that I myself believe in that is contrary to the message of Jesus Christ? And so today we're going to keep talking a little bit about this. Specifically, we're going to hear from Mike Underhill. 
And so let me give you a little bit of introduction. Mike is um, a bold Christ follower, um, and he is just a dear friend of the family, and so definitely someone that I look up to. And if you remember, and you've been listening to the show time in and time out, you remember Kathy on the show, which we love dearly. And so Mike is coming to us today with over 30 years of experience in the legal field as a litigator with trial and bench trial experience. He regularly handles patent and trade secret cases and contributes a unique perspective on some of the tools that he's gathered to carry out the Great Commission. Some of you may be wondering, how does that? I know there were Christians inside the legal field. And so if you are, um, this is the day where you're going to hear from one of them, and it's going to be it's going to be awesome. So, Mike, I'm going to stop talking because I'm sure that people want to hear you at this point. So, the first thing I want to ask you: um, scale of one to ten, <laughs> how excited are you about this? About being? Yeah. Well, I I certainly uh, I think the world of you. Uh, I would say that I'm a bit out of my comfortable element. <laughs> I'm not really a feelings, you know, kind of person. So uh, I probably have to say, you know, uh, we'll see how they thought uh, the outline questions that you provided were, were helpful. And um, I'll do my best here. Well, that's, that's actually good that you brought the outline questions so that, you know, you'll know that they were helpful in case I go off script. Sure. You know, you'll know my intentions were correct at one point in time. Although that last question was off script. So. Yep, sure was. Uh-huh. It's starting out all right. down from here. That's true. <laughs> so that's great. Um, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to Jesus? Sure. Um, I'd say that I give uh, an awful lot of uh, credit for that to, to one person, and it was a, a peer and a colleague of mine, uh, a friend in, uh, in high school, and uh, his name was Mike, and he was a very mature you know, believer at a very early age. Um, Are you talking about yourself, Mike? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm actually on. not. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a... In a where we did go to church, and, and I would also say that I never really for a minute ever doubted the existence of God. And, and even today, I almost have trouble getting my mind around, you know, the idea of how an atheist could view the world. I mean, to me, um, I look at a, <coughs> a tree, and uh, I just instinctively uh, believe that I have to be a creator. And I... Um, you know, I look at the complex systems and the body. Mm. Um, maybe you know, a favorite would be uh, sexual, you know, reproduction, mm. where you think about you know how everything has to come together to create a new life. Mm. And to me, the idea that this could have evolved in some way without uh, a designer just strikes me as just beyond reasonable belief. Mm. And I um, can look at many other, you know, aspects of uh, the world around me, and I just can't um, imagine that there's not an intelligent you know, designer behind it. But for me, the, mm. uh, 
the I think the God part is like really really easy. Mm. What I didn't have, I think, uh, growing up as a kid was uh, was the Jesus part. And although we went to church, <coughs> I certainly I think part of it was I don't think I I ever clearly was presented with the gospel message of um, the need for a, for a savior. I mean, it's not that I thought I was, um, you know, sinless. I mean, I certainly had a definite sense of, you know, my shortcomings and, um, being less than, um, who I should be to the people around me. I mean, that was never an issue, Mm. but I, sounds like your parents did a good job. I suppose, (laughs) I suppose, yeah, I had good parents. Um, the, but I, I never, uh, had the, the sense that I needed a savior. I, I never don't believe I, I ever was clearly presented with the idea that, you know, Jesus Christ died a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, uh, for my sins. And I think I was probably, I don't know, 15 or 16 until I, I really heard that clear message. And it was largely through my friend, Mike. I had another friend, um, uh, Tom, who had grown up in a Christian family, and he knew um, the truth, and yet uh, definitely was not, you know, living it. And mm. I spent a lot of time with Tom, you know, in the summers, particularly, you know, in high school, and then even into college, and you know, going out, you know, in the uh, uh, at night, and you know, having a great time actually. Mm. Um, but but uh, but a very secular orientation and. Eventually, it evolved while we were still in college to where uh, Tom sort of um, calmed down, became serious about his faith, and the three of us uh, would have these long, long conversations, <laughs> you know, through the night and into the morning about uh, Christianity. And I and I finally, I think, did get to the point where I understood what Christianity was, but I didn't really feel a need for it. And whereas Earlier, I think I would have said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to, you know, I go to church. Right, exactly. Um, I really realized that, no, I really wasn't a Christian. I really wasn't a follower of Christ. It didn't particularly trouble me. Mm. Um, but at least it was an intellectual observation that, um, yeah, I did understand what Christianity was. And that didn't like the correct definition of a Christian that is a follower of Christ. Mm. Uh, and I, I, you know, yeah, I really wasn't there. Um, and what happened, uh, with my, with my friend, Mike was, uh, he suffered a very, uh, death, a very painful death. Uh, he was on board a, a ship, uh, as a young man, he was 23 mm-hmm. at the time and, um, was traveling the, the world with a, a program, an academic program called semester at sea, mm-hmm. one of the counselors and a chaplain, you know, on board this ship and, uh, became very, was a reaction to the anti-malarial uh, medication he was taking. And um, it's really not that rare of a reaction and really should have been diagnosed, but it wasn't. And so as a consequence, I uh, kept taking the anti-malarial and uh, ended up in a hospital in Sri Lanka okay. in Colo. And uh, it's a terrible way to die. Uh, you lose your skin on the outside and uh. you lose the lining of your lungs on the inside. And uh, it so happened that there was an American uh, missionary uh, that was in Colombo at the time with a with a singing group. And so uh, when when Mike died and, and there was a funeral service um, back in my hometown of Cincinnati, 
Uh, and I, you know, went back for it and my wife was there and my parents were there and uh, my friend Tom, you know, was there. And by then he was very active in his church and was actually mm-hmm. a, uh, preached, you know, for the oh, service. Wow. Yeah. But um, the real important thing for me uh, was this American missionary uh, had actually spent enough time with Mike and had written down his thoughts and observations uh, wow. of Mike's death and his observations of Mike. And that was read the, um, the funeral service and had a very deep impact on me. And I think really impressed on me that um, the sense that, you know, yeah, I was going to look into this Christianity stuff more mm-hmm. um, that I really didn't have all day, you know, to do it, um, that you just never knew when something was going to happen. And so um, I think in my own mind, I had always viewed becoming a Christian very uh, somewhat of an intellectual approach. You know, I'd go to the library, I'd take out books, I'd study and right, right. decide, you know, if this thing was right. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess where I, I, I just kind of flipped it, you know, a little bit and that uh, I really, maybe this was more of a feeling, you know, uh, than, a, than, a, than a thought was that I really did have a need for a personal savior. And then I still did the academic side. I did go to the library and I read a lot of, you know, C.S. Lewis and uh, a lot of, you know, apologists and um, uh, proofs and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and it felt, I, I felt glad I did. I mean, I yeah. think that was an important part of it as well. Yep. But I guess what I, I really came away with was just uh, how we don't have forever. Uh, and at some point, um, I think if we're, you know, serious about being a Christian, we have to you know, we have to make the leap. And I don't think it's a blind leap. And I don't think it's giving up your intellect. And I think that um, there's a, you know, an unbelievable trove of um, writings by people a heck of a lot smarter than me um, that, you know, have explained, I think, to to people who do have, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, an academic interest, you know, in Christianity, why Christianity is, um, more believable than the uh, than the opposite. Yep. And then I would just was that rather long answer with uh, <laughs> oh, um, I within the past year um, I actually contacted uh, this missionary in Sri Lanka. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's an American and, and he's in Minneapolis now I think. Yeah. Uh, and I just called him up, you know, out of the clear blue and just said, Hey, I got a story for you. And wow. uh, I told him about the story and, yeah. and just what an impact, you know, his writings yep. uh you know it had on it had on uh, me does he still have the writings to um this day? well i have them i don't know if he has Do them or really? not but uh yeah at the time of the funeral yeah uh i asked for a copy of them and uh i've you know read them you know many times i wouldn't say i read them all the time but uh, yeah. uh i've probably read them you know 15 20 times since um uh since mike's death you know which was in uh, 1980 uh 1984 that's so incredible to me. So do you, um, what, what were some of the, if you don't mind sharing sure. the highlights that really touched you from his journey? Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, the, uh, I'd say the main thing uh, would be the confidence uh, with which he approached uh, death. Mm-hmm. And like I said, uh, this was a really, you know, bad way to die. Yeah. I'm sure there's worse ones, by the way. But, um, you know, you kind of uh, uh, drown because the fluid in your lungs, uh, you know, is 
don't have a, yeah, you don't have a lining, and then you lose the outside of your skin, so you dehydrate. So you're kind of like de- drowning and dehydrating at the same time. At least that's my understanding of it. And if some doctor wants to come on and explain it better. I, I'm sure they. I'm sure I would yield to them. They are welcome. But uh, to. yeah, <laughs> but I think it was uh, it was it was the the confidence that he had, you know, yeah. at such an early age to know that he was dying to, yeah. you know, know that he didn't have much time left at all, but he had a steadfastness that, uh, you know, he was going to be with the Lord. I mean, yeah. so I guess in a, yep. you know, in a, in a short summer, that would be the, the, it was the, the biggest impact on me. Yeah. And was he describe him a little bit when he was, you know, alive as a friend, was he sort of sure. like a, you know, someone who had a lot of buoyancy or did he seem more, more sort of reserved? Yeah. Oh, what's interesting. I would, I would say he was, uh, he was immensely likable. Um, I would say he, you know, he didn't seek the spotlight. Um, he, you know, um, I'd say took some teasing, you know, for his, um, uh, Christian beliefs and so he was vocal uh, about hesitation. It. Yeah. I mean, for example, I mean, he'd go out to bars with us, mm-hmm. um, but he, but he wouldn't drink. Um, he, you know, was very, um, uh, you know, was very active at church. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly was very um, pure with girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, was certainly waiting, you know, to get married. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was definitely, he definitely lived uh, a Christian life at a time when, you know, it's probably the hardest time in the world to do it, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I, at least I think, you know, in high school where people right. tend to be, I think, relatively insecure and yep. um, relatively unmoored. Um, another thing, I mean, never in a million years uh, ever heard the slightest, you know, bad language, you know, from him. Wow. Uh, I mean, ever, not even, not even the slightest bit. And, um, uh, you know, I think he cared about me. I think he was probably a little impatient with me. Um, you know, I think after these long conversations, I mean, it was kind of like, uh, you know, what more do you want here? Why don't you get this? Yeah. Yeah, And so, um, and I do remember, uh, actually, Tom kind of echoed the same thing. I remember being in the men's room after the funeral service, and I, I really had decided in the service that I, um, no, I think I am a Christian here, but mm. I didn't want to tell anybody because obviously this was a major event for me uh, emotionally, losing you know a very close friend, and um, I didn't know if you know I'd wake up three days later and you know be back to normal and nothing had happened and I'd feel kind of foolish if I had started making these great pronouncements that oh you know exactly. Christian stuff like that so I didn't want to tell a soul and um, so I remember uh, as I said you know just being in the men's room you know walking dry my hands or whatever and I was in there and you know him getting impatient with me and uh, you know, and I, I kind of wanted to tell him, but I just wasn't ready because I wasn't sure that I, that that was really something that had changed to me right. and not something that I was just experiencing emotionally. Mm-hmm. I also, by the way, keep in mind here, I'd married, uh, then, you know, less than a year, I think about nine months. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> I also didn't know how to tell my wife, you know, <laughs> she's going to think I'm like a nut or something, you know? So I, um, I remember we, we came back home to the D.C. area here, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> it was about a week later, and I finally told my wife, 
and um, what had happened to me. After you and, knew it uh, wasn't going to wear off. What? Yeah, 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 after I figured it probably wasn't. And uh, <laughs> and her response was, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy. It was it was uh, me too. That's, that was her response. You know? <laughs> I love so, that. Uh, so good. you know, Sunday came and, you know, we didn't really know what to do. We hadn't been going to church. And my wife had grown up in a, in a Catholic, you know, family and mm-hmm. had actually gone to church, you know, regularly for a long, long time. Um, and like I said, I had grown up going to church, but it was, uh, you know, kind of a mainline Protestant church where there wasn't was a lot of, you know, I think very rigorous, you know, teaching or mm-hmm. much emphasis on, uh, on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like I said, somehow, you know, the, the whole message had eluded me and I don't really know if that was the church's fault or I wasn't paying attention, but, <laughs> but, um, we didn't really know what to do and, and for church. And so we, I remember we pulled the yellow pages and, um, I love that. yeah, and Mike, uh, Mike had gone to an assemblies of God, you know, church and mm-hmm. so said, well, let's try an assembly of God church. So we, we started going there for a while. And again, I, I was never real comfortable with it from a logistics point of view, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, I just never really into the you know being hugged by everybody and you know all the <laughs> men hugging everybody and you know and men hugging men women hugging women you yeah, know yeah, sort of thing yeah. um i mean it was okay and, and I, I never i don't certainly don't look down on them or, yeah. or anything like that but it just really wasn't you know kind of my yeah. thing so eventually we found a church that was more you know uh, suited i think to my temperament <laughs> um, but i have a well, great you could, deal of you could have your bubble and no yeah, one touches well it. yeah <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. Totally but um <laughs> yeah, yeah but i think i think there's something for everybody and i have the utmost respect yep. for you know the Absolutely. charismatic you know churches and yeah. um and obviously you know i owe a lot of you know where i am to you know mike and his charismatic church so yeah. i do recall that That's um true. the night i so i picked up the phone and i called um uh, Tom and uh, I mean I think by the time I called him it was like one in the morning or something and <laughs> um, and I also I knew it was really well I'd actually gone to school with her you know as well and uh, her uh, you know she was so excited and you know we talked for a while and then she mm-hmm. called her mother and who, her mother I didn't know very well I'd met her but I, I didn't know her very well and uh, she called her mother like you know two in the morning and. Uh, <laughs> Some of the reasons she did that because her mother had been praying for me for you know, I love that. all these years, oh and um, I uh, again I didn't I didn't know her mother very well at all, but somehow I'd made it on her prayer list, and so she thought you know her mother would be real excited to know. So um, so anyway, it was a it was a very wow. exciting you know tumultuous yeah. uh, time in my time. in my life uh, combined with you know, may not be married more than about, you know, nine months. Right. So it really kind of, kind of started things there. How God just like basically got a hold of both of you at the same time too. Cause it would have been an interesting journey, right? Definitely for sure. For a different sure. One. But um, thank you for sharing that. You know, he's smiling down from heaven right now. So yeah, sure. sure. Mission and, accomplished. Yeah. And I did go back and I talked to his parents, you know, mm-hmm. later and let them know, know what an impact you know it had and you know they pointed out too the potential multiplying effect of a uh of a believer you know in that you know obviously my wife and have done what we could to mm-hmm. influence others and and obviously most significantly you know our children uh, yeah and just you know it, it's not just a uh when, when one can influence you know someone else you know to the to the good side uh, it's not necessarily just that person. I mean, it, it can be multiple generations. Absolutely. And I mean, who knows, maybe a descendant of mine will, you know, be something, you know, terribly incredible, you know, and, and uh, you know, impact, 
millions of people. I mean, or maybe not. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how God works. And, you know, our family has definitely been incredibly blessed to know you guys. Because oh, good. Well, thank you. Your actions speak louder than your words. You well, know, thank and you. That's, um, that's just been a really powerful testimony. So let me ask you a little bit more about what you think, um, since we're talking about the legal field. Uh-huh. What do you think is the Christ follower's role in the legal field? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, uh, first of all, that I don't know that it's particularly dif- different, you know, in the legal field than it is in any other field. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think at a very uh, basic level, it's, uh, it's being a Christian in whatever environment we're in. And I also think... Um, and, and, and so, so, so there are, you know, Christian lawyers, you know, that I know that really have devoted their, not only uh, their, uh, you know, their personal time, but their professional time to tackling, you know, issues that I think are, you know, extremely important to, uh, uh, well, to Christ, you know, to put it. Uh, yeah. You know, for lack of a better word. No, absolutely. And and I you know I think of people that do you know incredible things that um, you know, use their legal skills to um, well even my wife I guess I'll use her as an mm-hmm. example I mean she she doesn't, you know uh, this is not her regular job she, she has a you know regular job where she um, uh, represents insurance companies but but um, long away she's done a lot of uh, help with. Uh, you know, helping, uh, I don't know, grandmothers that want to adopt bees that, you know, in the inner city that, you know, don't really have functioning parents, you know, for example, or uh, she's helped people get uh, asylum, you know, uh, uh, Christians that are, you know, persecuted. Mm. And I've done, I've done a little bit of that, Mm. but, but I have to say, I I certainly haven't done nearly as much as my wife and, and neither one of us has done as much as, you know, some people that really just say, um, uh, money's not important to me, and you know I'm going to spend my um, you know my legal talents uh, accomplishing you know mm-hmm. things for for others. Um, one thing that I did do very early on and, and really had an incredible impact in my life mm-hmm. is um, uh, our pastor mentioned that there was a you know fellow that was coming to church and yeah. had some immigration issues and and would I uh, you know would I look into it? And I didn't know the first thing in the world. <laughs> but uh, we had a paralegal at our firm that did, and yep. so I took on this, you know, pro bono case and um, helped this, you know, this guy uh, get uh, get a green card. And um, we've been friends for you know 35 years, and and I you know talk to him regularly, and um, you know, two little kids at the time. Of course, they're grown up, and mm. um, they uh, uh, they came from a predominantly Muslim country, although they're Christians. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of their sons went in the U.S. Navy and, you know, everybody's a citizen now. And and, uh, it's just been a great, you know, personal relationship. So um, at least that's one example where I think I did something directly, you Mm -hmm. know, with my um, legal training that uh, that advanced the um, the kingdom of God. Yeah, Um, I think, however, um, that even if, you know, we have more secular occupations. And I, and I think I, I do uh, have a more secular occupation, which is I, um, I do a lot of intellectual property uh, litigation. I do the 
the litigation side, the lawsuit side, and um, more particularly, I do, you know, some of the courtroom side, which is what I really like, you know, talking yeah. to jurors and talking to judges and stuff like that. And I'm at a stage in my career now, I um, am usually the most senior lawyer on the team. And, and so I'll have, uh, for a, you know, a big case, I'll have a couple of other lawyers, you know, working with me, and then we'll have a bunch of associates. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I do think that I have a uh, an ability as as and, and many others do as well. I certainly don't suggest that mine's a unique ability, but um, an ability to influence you know the lawyers around me and uh, particularly younger lawyers. Absolutely. And um, I do think, and, and this will I guess maybe a lot of your listeners will probably disagree with this, but um, my own personal view is that popular opinion notwithstanding, mm-hmm. uh, I think lawyers are probably at least as honest as, you know, the average you know person in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that, by the way, is, you know, the ethical standards are, you know, uh, are, are high and the consequences of uh, not being, you know, honest or not being uh, candid, you know, with a, with a judge or, you yep. know, other tribunal, pretty significant. Constantly. I mean, you know, yep. you can lose your license and, and, you know, even if you sort of that, I mean, you can get sanctioned and, you know, I mean, horrible, you know, embarrassment right. and, and can really affect your career very much. Right. So I'd like to think that, you know, lawyers are, are, you know, more honest or at least as honest um, for, you know, um, altruistic reasons, but, uh, even if they're, even if they're not, um, I think I do believe with both lawyers I work with and lawyers I work against, Mm. um, I think they tend to be, you know, pretty, pretty honest, but, um, I think I, you know, instill, uh, and, and just, you know, insist on, um, very high standards for integrity. And I think a lot of my, um, and I, I do want to be clear here. I don't think this is a distinctly uh, Christian trait. I think that there are, you know, colleagues that I work with, uh, some of whom are not Christians, that I think also do an excellent job of, yeah. of really uh, exhibiting, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, honesty as well. I, I do think I'm, I'm kind of fanatical about it. And, um, you know, when your problems do arise, you know, in litigation, you have to decide, for example. Uh, other side asks for a certain category of documents and you're holding a document and um, maybe it's not very good for your case. And you only have to produce it, let's say in this particular situation, if it's actually been requested. Mm-hmm. So, you know, frequently there's a little bit of a judgment call as to whether or not this document has been requested or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, part of, you know, being a, a, a Christian lawyer and, and again, you know, many, lawyers also, mm-hmm. uh, that are not Christian. Mm-hmm. It's, it's calling it straight. It's, it's being, um, you know, honest, it's doing what you need to do, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's maybe not the most helpful thing, you know, for your case. Right. Um, I also think, and there's a, there's a secular story, you know, about this as well that I, I kind of like, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, lawyers representing, some guy and the jury comes back and says he's guilty mm-hmm. and the guy looks at the lawyer and says what do we do what do, we do? and he says well you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life and I'm going to go back to my office and the oh, wow. yeah and I think what it illustrates though is uh, and I think it's a great lesson you know, for lawyers and anybody else is um you're, you represent the client. You do it very zealously. You work very, very hard at it. And I've spent many, many, many hours, maybe more than I should have, you know, at my, at my job. Um, but at the end of the day, you exercise independent judgment 
and you have to do what's right. And, you know, although mm-hmm. your interests um, aligns in many, many ways with your client mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you know, you've got to do what's right. And uh, I've been, you know, mm-hmm. incredibly blessed yeah. to have, you know, great clients and, you know, clients that I thought, you know, were extremely ethical and there's been very few mm-hmm. um, that I just didn't feel comfortable with or didn't trust. Right. And in those very few circumstances, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, part of being, you know, uh, uh, a Christian, although again, I qualify it. I think there's a lot of non-Christian lawyers that believe exactly the same thing. Um, you just have to, you just have to do what's right. You know, you can't uh, go along with, um, you know, an objective and pursue it through means that are anything less than completely, you know, ethical and That's honest great. and above board. Yeah. Um, and I also think that um, um, I think particularly dealing with courts, uh, I think the duty of candor, you know, is extremely high. Hmm. And what, is I that? Think it means, what does that mean for? Yeah. I was going to say uh, the duty of candor it means, first of all, absolutely, you know, not lying. If you get a mm-hmm. question, you know, from a court, you know, you better answer, you know, uh, exactly accurately. Mm-hmm. The second thing, or to the best of your ability, and if you find out later that you made a mistake, you need to correct it. Yep. Um, it means, among other things, and these are from the canons of ethics. These are not, by the way, uh, unique to Christian lawyers at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's you your point about how. Yeah, you, know, you can't can't put a, a witness on the stand uh, that you, an illicit testimony um, that you believe to be uh, perjury. You just don't do it. Um, the, um, uh, I think it's also though, um, it's volunteering information that may not be helpful to your case. It's relevant to what the court asked, even if it doesn't technically come within the question. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, you know, a close one to apply. That's what it does yeah. yeah. And, um, so anyway, I mean, those would some yeah. you know, ideas. Then other ways is just to uh, law firms, as, as you know, because I know you worked in a law firm you know, mm-hmm. for a while as well. Um, they're, uh, they're places of employment like any place else. And so, yeah. you know, there's also the interpersonal, you know, relations exactly. and uh, lawyers tend to be very, um, I think they tend to be, you know, competitive and mm-hmm. uh, certainly within a law firm, um, compensation, for example, depends mm-hmm. on credit for different, you know, clients, and right. it can be a kind of a internally mm-hmm. uh, competitive place. And I, I think it's incumbent on, you know, all of us to um, be fair with our partners and colleagues and um, uh, do our best to uh, fairly allocate credit, yeah. uh, even if it's not, you know, perhaps in our financial interest, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think it's important to, to do it, you know, to do, do what's right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going back to, so I, I think those are kind of vague answers, by the way, and there's nothing I think that I've said that screams, um, you know, I do this because I'm a Christian. Um, I do, however, think that we, um, you know, obtain reputations by consistently, um, being truthful, uh, even when in a particular situation, it would be easier to, um, to, to shade the truth or obscure the truth. And I, I really can say honestly Mm -hmm. that I do strive to answer a 
question, you know, directly, mm-hmm. even if I know that the answer that I'm giving mm-hmm. is not the one that the person wanted to hear. Right. And, and maybe not the one that would be, you know, the, the best, best for me. Right, right. But rather than just beat around the bush, I think it's better just to say it. That's great. So I don't know. I'd like to think that's one way in which I carry up. And I think that's been that's I love points that you've brought up because part of this show is to, you know, to emphasize the fact that we can be followers of Jesus Christ in these environments, even as secular environments. Right. And a lot of times um, it's amazing. I, I just keep hearing like, oh, I'm not doing I'm not doing this. So I'm not really doing anything for Jesus. You know, I'm not in an organized ministry or. I'm not pastoring a church or I'm not, you know, a deacon or whatever. And it's kind of like none of the disciples were that, right? I mean, none of them were. Mm-hmm. None of the apostles were. Um, and yet they were so infectious for Christ. And even the smallest roles, like I think about um, Philip's role to Nathaniel. All he did was come and see. That's all he said when, when Jesus tapped Philip to come and follow him. Philip went and told Nathaniel. In John, um, I believe it was, it was in John 1 or 2, and I'm going to go back and check the reference. And he said to Nathaniel, you know, come, come and see Jesus. And he goes, well, what good can come out of Nazareth, yeah. you know? And he goes, well, just come and see. And that's all he said, you know. Yeah. But even in that little small gesture, Nathaniel was able to literally get his life story told by Jesus you know, in such a way that, that convinced him that day to follow Christ. And so, and it's like Mike, Mike never got to see you come to Jesus, but yet it did. And it's had profound, profound, um, you know, uh, sort of um, effects, ripple effects, like you brought up earlier. So I think that what you pointed out, but the thing that I'm, I'm excited about is you gave a set of, of sort of, ethics and rules that are in the canon of ethics, mm-hmm. right? Yes. What do you think are some tools that you have learned within the legal field that could be applied to how we communicate, you know, the good news of the gospel or how we insert doubt, you know, when it comes to addressing the conversations with people who have a different belief system? Hmm. Um well, hopefully this will be responsive to your question, but um, <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think, get kicked out. No, way. I think one thing that uh, um, that litigators, you know, tend to be good at is articulating thoughts, um, marshalling arguments, mm-hmm. you know, both factually and legally, mm-hmm. and I think those can be skills that are very helpful in life. Um, I think being a you know, a clear, you know, confident communicator is uh, certainly helpful. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a requirement, by the way. And I think probably, you know, people that live really exemplary lives and are, you know, extremely empathetic, mm-hmm. you know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I think can be extraordinary, uh, you know, witnesses for. And I think lawyers are probably not known for their empathy, you know, in general. But um, but I do think the um, the ability to articulate I think is is um, is helpful, you know, mm-hmm. in uh, communicating the gospel. Certainly. What was the second part of your question? Um, how do you how do you use what are some tools that you can use then to insert doubt when it comes to conversations with people? Insert doubt. Mm-hmm. Insert doubt. Like, give me an example. What do you mean? Um, So one of the things we were talking about in the last show is how 
let's say someone presents um, another belief system. Oh, uh-huh, sure. And a simple question, yeah, yeah, you know, can sort of. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that um, I, I will. I will try to address that one. But I think um, uh, one thing mm-hmm. that that being a, a litigator does is I think it gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you stand up in court, you know, you really got a great case. You think, oh, how could I lose? You can still lose those cases, by the way. But but uh, you know, you think you've got you know just this crazy good case. Other times you stand up and you know, at least on this argument or this motion or whatever, you know, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. But, you know, you, you do learn to, you know, articulate the argument in a way that you make the best points, you know, for your position, even if you know that the odds of you're actually winning it are going to be uh, low. So I do think the ability to um, project uh, confidence, I think can be extraordinarily um, helpful. Um, as far as, you know, injecting uh, doubt, I mean, I think questions are a great, you know, way to do it. And, um, you know, we've probably, at least my, you know, we saw uh, Paper Chase and, um, uh, which was, I, you probably don't even know what no, I'm talking about. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was a, it was a, you can still see it. It's on Netflix. Okay. But um, okay. it was, uh, I think it's set at Harvard Law School. And okay. it's uh, the young, you know, uh, law students being abused and bruised by uh, the the professor, you okay. know, um, and, and and you probably know this, and, and maybe some of your listeners do as well, but a lot of law schools still use a Socratic method, mm-hmm. and so uh, what that means is, you know, you come in, you're supposed to have done the reading, uh, professor will ask questions, you know, about the reading, and the questions are ever more penetrating. At the end of the day, it's kind of designed to know that you, you just really haven't thought this thing through. Right. And so um, I do think that uh, I don't I don't think there's particular questions, but I, I think a good way to start is, well, why do you believe that? Mm. And, um, you know, listen to the answer and, oh, well, why do you believe that? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think, you know, we need to be confrontational about it, but I think that there are a lot of things that we we think we believe and we really only feel them Mm. and if you really ask questions about well well, why I mean what's the logical process by which you got to the point Mm -hmm. that you believe there is no God Um, that's a I mean part of it is just the the difficulty of the position meaning um, I think uh, it would be much easier to defend uh, the agnostic position, you know, I don't know whether it's God or not, mm-hmm. than it is to defend the atheist position. The atheist right. position is like you're really kind of carving stuff. off a really difficult argument, you know, because how in the world, you know, are you ever going to um, begin to marshal the idea that, you know, there's no God? Right. Um, and I know people have attempted to do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but at the same time, I mean, I just think it's a very, very difficult argument yeah. to uh, – uh, to win. So, so I, I think that's, you know, probably a good opening question is just, right. oh, that's interesting. You know, why do you, why do you believe that? And right. whatever the, you know, the answer is and the follow-up is, oh, okay, well, why do you believe that? And so why do you believe that this conclusion mm-hmm. follows from, you know, this premise? Right. Well, isn't it equally, you know, possible that this other conclusion is also consistent with your own premise. Right. Um, now, I will say that um, I think we have to be careful about just trying to 
win the argument. Mm. And uh, lawyers, yeah. of course, are very big on just trying to win the argument. Right. And um, hopefully we have a, uh, a bigger purpose if we're questioning, you know, someone's beliefs. And uh, I think we need to strive to do so uh, in a respectful way. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think we're going to, you know, probably advance the cause of Christ if they come away thinking that, you know, you uh, hypothetically, uh, you know, embarrass them or, 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 you know, uh, we're out to humiliate them or make them look bad or make them feel stupid or, you know, anything else. Um, And, and, and just to be clear, I think there's a lot of people that don't hold Christian views that are, you know, quite, you know, intelligent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to suggest that, you know, their views are, are uh, stupid. Uh, I would just, believe them to be wrong right. and uh, would want to, you know, have a discussion about that. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you brought that up because what would you say to someone who says, well, I don't feel like I know enough to even have a conversation with anyone about the gospel. If I get in a debate, I'm going to tap out. I have no knowledge base. Yeah. I would say that, that um, I mean, first of all, I think that anyone um, can uh, do some reading and, can at least, you know, strengthen their ability to hold a discussion about, you know, why they believe. Mm -hmm. But I also think that um, part of the reason to really think about and maybe even articulate why you believe what you believe is not so that you can share it, you know, necessarily with somebody else, but to uh, I do think that being able to articulate why you believe something is a very useful check on making sure that that's a reasonable belief and something that you should hold. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, number one mm-hmm. would be, um, I think all of us, and certainly including me, mm-hmm. you know, could benefit just from uh, more rigorous thought and study. I mean, it's not like we're in an environment in the United States where we don't have just an absolute plethora of resources uh, of all kinds of things Mm -hmm. that we can read about, you know, apologetics or, you know, things that have been written both for and against, you know, uh, Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think step number one would be, you know, read some of that. I think step number two would be, um, I think some people are going to be more, uh, persuaded by this sort of logical, objective presentation that we're talking about right now. But I think there's other people that are just going to be more impressed by uh, how you live your life and, and mm-hmm. you know, what makes you so kind and, and uh, why are you so generous and why are you so willing to help mm-hmm. me and so I, I think that those, um, I, I think that there's all kinds of people that can be very yeah. effective as far as advocates and, and uh, witnesses, you know, for, uh, for Christ. Absolutely. So I, I'd love to get a little bit of your thought behind, um, you know, some, some of these, these debate questions, if you will, that uh-huh. can come up. And because there are a lot of doubts, a lot of times that are, um, that kind of, revolve around the topic of being hurt or why God allows suffering. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, to, this is a role play uh, sure, <laughs> for anyone sure. listening. So don't, you know, right. but, um, but I, I'm curious to know sort of some of the ways in which you've addressed it or 
how you would address it sure. in that situation. So I, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman who feels like I have lost everything. Everything I touch seems to just go away. Um, I'm convinced at this point that there can't be a God because ev- all these bad things just keep happening to me, Mike. Sure, sure. So, um, well, there's a, you know, there's a book out there. Uh, and, and again, I, I was popular in my generation. I don't know if you've ever even heard of it, but uh, why bad things happen to good people. Are you familiar I've with the book? I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah the, um, the premise of the book, uh, by the way, is one I think that uh, I don't think Chris can agree to. I, I think uh, hmm. boiled to its essence uh, I think the answer from the author is it's because God isn't powerful enough to uh, prevent them. And and oh, wow. so I certainly think that's, you know, uh, a definite, you know, wrong answer. Right. Um, I don't think that there's um, uh, I don't think there's a thoroughly satisfactory answer, at least for many people. Um, I think a, a good start is um, the idea of uh, free will, which is, you know, why uh, do bad things happen? And um, part of it is because we're, um, we're free to make uh, bad decisions. And just as we're free to make bad decisions, there's everybody else is free to make bad decisions. And sometimes their bad decisions, you know, impact us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think of, you know, horrible murders and you know things mm-hmm. like that right. um, I again don't think that's a complete answer because you know right. obviously there's the the problem of you know horrible uh, birth deaths, you know which are not even you know or disasters that's a good very good point so you know how do we uh, explain those and, and I think it uh, at a certain level and I'm not pretending that this is I think a satisfactory answer mm-hmm. um, I think the answer is uh, that's the world that you know God created and we can mm-hmm. um, you know we can ask him when we get there and, and I think we can speculate and you know we can you know, think about things like um, I don't know population control if we didn't have these terrible birth defects mm-hmm. and certain you know if everybody survived to you know adult head right. we would have uh, food shortages. I mean, we can, we can speculate all we want, but um, I don't think the speculation is particularly um, satisfying or helpful. And, and I do think at the end of the day, I do think it's really important to just answer the question sometimes with, I just don't know. And, um, yeah. and, and, you know, not a terribly satisfying explanation, but it's certainly an, an, an honest one. Yes. But I mean, we know of, um, you know, just people and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, mental illness or, or whatever. It's just, it seems to us unexplainable. Now, why does God permit, you know, something like that to happen? And um, I thoroughly reject the idea that, well, God's just not powerful enough to prevent. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, okay, well, if he is powerful enough to prevent it, you know, why Why doesn't he prevent it? And the answer is, um, you know, I'll let you know after I get there and uh, talk to God, you know, um, because I don't, I don't have any great answers for that. Yeah. It's very difficult. And I think time and time in and time out, that's where the testimony part comes, you know, yep. really comes in handy because we know what we've been through. But at the end of the day, you know, these, these questions are just so complex. The thing about um, this hurt woman, too, is that she's a firm believer in evolution. Earlier on the show, you said, you know, I, I can't even put my mind around somebody not believing that there's, you know, a designer at the very least. Can you talk to us about why you're so, 
and you did already, so I don't want you know you to necessarily repeat. But what would you say to someone who says, "Here's a very logical way in which that happens. There's an atom. We can see evolution. We can actually mm-hmm. see evolution in our in our life. Um, you, we evolved from being a two year old to a ten year old, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't that apply? Why wouldn't those principles apply to sure. the creation of the earth? Well. I mean, if you're looking for somebody that really can speak very knowledgeably about evolution, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. But I'll tell you what my understanding of it is and what my, my, my answer to that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit uh, coincidental here in that uh, I got back from the Galapagos, um, mm. you know, like a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah. And it really was a trip of a lifetime. And, and I mentioned that because, of course, Galapagos is so closely associated with Charles Darwin. Yeah. And um, there's many, many examples on, you know, the islands of animals that have um, adapted and evolved to specific circumstances. Right. And some of it's actually quite interesting. Uh, the one probably most have heard of is the, uh, the finches where, you know, depending on what Island they are and what their food source is, you know, over time, their beaks, you know, evolve to be very, you know, specialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great example, by the way, is are the marine iguanas where, you know, iguanas are land animals, but in the Galapagos, have marine iguanas. I don't think they live anyplace else. Wow. What they do is they swim out in the ocean, yeah. they eat the algae. Um, their body's cool because, you know, they're, they're obviously cold-blooded. Mm-hmm. So they swim back and uh, lay on the rocks, get warm again, and, you know, repeat. Wow. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, place to see uh, evolution. And, and, and evolution of that nature, mm-hmm. um, I don't think is in any way inconsistent with, you know, anything that Scripture teaches um, it's the, it, it seems rather straightforward to me that if you, uh, have a situation where I don't know, the giraffes are having difficulty getting food and the long neck guys, food, they right, reproduce right. and the next generation has longer necks. So, yeah. I mean, I, I do think at a certain level, mm-hmm. Christians maybe are too quick to say, oh no, you know, I don't believe in evolution. Well, what exactly do you mean by evolution? Right. If we're talking about, um, you know, an evolution of specific characteristics, you know, because, you know, specific um, variants Mm -hmm. were particularly suited to a particular environment. I don't think that's, I don't even think it's controversial. It seems to me that it it occurs. Mm -hmm. The controversial part is where we, and probably the most controversial, Mm -hmm. is where we get to the point where uh, humans, you know, evolve from, you know, take your pick, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, apes or whether it's uh, snails or, you know, fish or whatever. And the the problem with that, I mean, to me, as far as, you know, my reading of it is, there's just no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and sometimes um, you'll see that, oh, uh, uh, humans and some other animal, um, the genome, you know, overlaps and there's, you know, by 43% or something. I'm totally making up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and, and <laughs> somehow, yeah, somehow, <laughs> yeah, somehow that's supposed to be evidence that we have evolved from this other animal or that we and the other animal have evolved from a common source. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't get that one at all. It's just completely illogical. I mean, why isn't it equally consistent with a hypothesis that says God created, you know, these two different animals and designed them so that they shared 43%, you know, right, of the right. genome. And I, so I, I think that, um, and again, you know, I'm really getting into territory that I'm sure other people understand a lot better than I do, <laughs> but um, it would seem to me that for many, many people that uh, say, Oh, I believe, 
evolution. It's it's a religion. I mean, they've just hmm. they've just accepted it, um, and that they are have not. And I have asked people who yeah. have said similar things like that. Yeah. Oh, really? What do you think is the most persuasive evidence? And it's That's just they don't they don't come up with anything. You know that that makes at least in my mind yeah. um, sense. Right. I mean, so I. Um, I have a real yeah. problem with the, you know, the whole species jumping right. uh, aspects of uh, evolution because I think it's, it's a, it's a religion. It's Ever. a, it's a fantasy, you know, um, anyway. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. We, we may have to continue this Okay. Sure. <laughs> because we are actually at time right now. Um, thank you so much, Mike. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate you coming on. To all of you who are listening, thank you for listening. Um, we are going to – do you have any parting comments for us? Uh, not really. I'm just really grateful that you didn't make me sing. <laughs> oh, that will be next time. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to like the answer. I You're not going to like the results. <laughs> we'll just put in my mute. Um, so thank you again. Really, really appreciate it. Will you pray us out? Uh, sure. Um, dear Heavenly Father, uh, I think the – uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, and to be with Emma. Um, Lord, I, I pray for everybody listening here. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, everybody out there has their own um, issues and, and, and problems. And Lord, I, I just raise those problems up to you. And I'm obviously, I don't know what they are right now, but I would just ask Lord that you would please um, address them because uh, there's a lot of people in this world that, uh, including me, that have, you know, special needs, and you know them all, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, have a wonderful and blessed evening. I'm so glad that you continue to join us. Tune in next time. We'll have a little bit more. All right. In the meantime, have a good day. Bye-bye. Sure and sure.